Our call to worship was Psalm 68, and I chose Psalm 68 today uh, because Psalm 68 verse 6 says that God places the solitary in families. And we're going to talk about family today, so we're in Ephesians chapter 5. And we read, we, we did half of chapter 5 last week. We did chapter 5 verses 1 through, oh, I think we went all the way down to uh, verse 21. We're going to begin in verse 15, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. So Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15, actually we're going to read into the next chapter, we're going to read through chapter 6, verse 4. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Uh, read with me. Uh, follow along as I read. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife as also Christ is, head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you Be in particular, I'm sorry, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, children, oh, they're next door. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. 
So we're going to look at the family today. In particular, we're going to look at this reality that the family is for the glory of God. The family for God's glory. The family was created to give witness to the glory of God. So when God created man, from the beginning, it was God's design to create the family. And we see that in God's order of creation. So let's pray and let's ask God to open our hearts, to open our minds, that he would take his word, that he would take his gospel and plant it in our hearts. And that word would change us and transform us into the very image of Christ. Amen. Father, we thank you. That's what you show us in your word. That's what your scripture teaches us. That, Lord, our destiny is to be conformed to the image of the Son. Father, this doesn't happen by our strength. It doesn't happen by our will. It doesn't happen by, Lord, what we are able to do. It happens by your grace. And, Lord, your grace gives us the power and the ability, Lord, to submit ourselves to you and to your word to submit ourselves to the control of your spirit. And it's your spirit in us that is changing us and transforming us to the good pleasure of your will. And that is, that will is that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Father, as we look into the word today, as we read and declare your gospel, Lord, let the power of your gospel Save us, let the power of your gospel change us and transform us for your glory. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. So the family was created to give witness to the glory of God. And when God created man, you notice the, there was an order of creation. So on the sixth day, the last day, the day before God rested, God created man. After he had created everything else, God created man as the crown jewel of his creation. And I love the account of Genesis because the account of Genesis gives us so much. It teaches us so much. When you read the Bible, you should read the Bible carefully. You should read the Bible understanding that God hasn't put anything in his scripture without a purpose. And God has given us his word in the way that he has because his word, line upon line, precept upon precept, is teaching us, is showing us, is revealing to us Christ. And that's really what the subject of the Bible is. The Bible is not just your basic instructions before leaving earth. I know we like to use that in acronym and it's really cute. But the reality is the Bible is much more than that. The Bible is God's written and inspired word by which he will show you and reveal to you his son. And when you are able to see his son, you are able to be transformed into the very same image. This is the, this is the picture Paul presents for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 when he talks about looking into the, a mirror and beholding the glory of God. And as we fix our gaze to that image of Christ, we see in the mirror, which speaks of what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
when we fix our gaze upon Christ, Paul writes, he says, we are being transformed into the very same image. So I always say this, whatever you fix your eyes to is what you're going to be conformed to. If your eyes are fixed on the world and the things of the world and the sin of the world, guess what your life is going to be conformed to? It's going to be conformed to that. And this is why the scripture, the writer of Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author, the one who began and the finisher and the one who will end our faith. It's not just that word finish The author and finisher is not just a beginning and an end. Think of, anybody ever pour concrete here? It's hard work. But pouring concrete is not just about dumping a bunch of concrete in a square. I used to sell slabs for a living. And you pour that concrete in that form, and then you have a guy who's got a, finishing machine looks like a big floor sweeper he stands on that slab and what what's he doing he's finishing the slab he's bringing it to perfection so as far as the concrete contractor is concerned his job's not finished until the slab is finished well that's kind of the picture jesus is the author and finisher the author and the perfecter of our faith. This is what we've learned as we've gone through the book of, he, of Ephesians. Paul says he's, Jesus gave gifts to the church. He gave some to be apostles, pa- uh, prophets, pastors, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So I'm a pastor and a teacher. And my responsibility, according to the scripture, is to bring you to a place of being equipped for the work of ministry. It is to bring you, not just me, but through the preaching and the teaching of the gospel, that the power of the Holy Spirit in you through the declaration of the gospel, through living out the gospel, that the power of the Holy Spirit is growing you up, is maturing you, is bringing you to a place of maturity, of fullness. The Bible calls it completion or perfection. It's not that we're ever going to be perfect in and of ourselves, but we have been perfected or made complete in Christ. Paul writes this in his letter to the Colossians. He says, you are complete in him. Now, we look at our lives practically speaking, and I I don't know about you, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself, and my wife would agree with you that, that there is a lot lacking about me. There are some incomplete things Sometimes it comes out in my attitude. Sometimes it comes out in my actions. Sometimes, you know, it's something as simple as I walk by the trash that's sitting there and instead of taking it out to the trash can, I, I, anybody else blind to the trash? You just kind of walk by it, not because you say, I want my wife to take that trash out, but I just, I'm not as, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not as, um, perceptive as I should be. Not because I don't love my wife, but at the same time, we can use that lack of perception or lack of consideration as an excuse and say, well, I didn't mean to do it, honey. And you guys know how that works, right? So all, when we say that, look, I didn't mean to do it, all we're saying is I'm not important enough for you to notice those things. 
So it's not that we're ever going to be able to be perfect in and of ourselves. But do we have a desire that our life would glorify God? Do we have a desire that our life would bring honor and glory? Do I want to be brought to maturity? Do I want to grow up into Christ in all things? I, could, I, I will still fail. I will still show signs of immaturity. But what is my heart? Do I want that? Do I desire that? And when I fail and when I fall down, do I understand that, that it is the grace of God that enables me to get up? It is the grace of God that says to me, that conveys to me like a good father does to his child, get up, son, get up, daughter. It's okay. Dust yourself off. Let's go. Let's try again. Let's do it again. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is, it's not that we're ever going to be able to reach this place where we are in and of ourselves perfect. It's that we come to this understanding that I have put my faith and put my trust in the one and only who is perfect. That's Jesus. That I can come boldly before the Father, and we should do this. When we pray, this is how we should come to the Father. We should come boldly before the Father and say, Father, you know I'm not perfect. You know I am so far from perfect. You know my failures. You know my falling. You know my faults. But still in your grace, you accept me. You enable me. You allow me to come to the very throne of grace. Not because of me, but because of your son, the Lord Jesus. It's not in our blood, it's not in our life, it's not in our name, it's not in our ability that we come before the throne of grace. It is by the blood and by the life of the Lord Jesus. And so God, when he created man from the very beginning, God's design was to create the family. And God allowed Adam to see that there was nothing in creation like him when he brought all the animals to Adam. And Adam came to the conclusion after naming them all, there is no one comparable to me. And then God said, it's not good that man be alone. We oftentimes think that because of Adam's potential loneliness, but that's not why it wasn't good. It wasn't good because alone, Adam could not fulfill the mandate that God gave, which was, to be fruitful and to multiply. So we see from the very beginning is God's design to create the family. And the family is made up of, of what? Of who? Of individuals. And here, as we've read Ephesians chapter 5, I want to draw your attention to verse 18. Well, let's look at verse, let's just go back to verse 15 and read down through Verse 21, let's look at this section. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand. So when we don't understand, we're lacking wisdom. Don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is, dissipa which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So this drunk with wine and dissipation and being filled with the Spirit is a picture of contrast or comparison. It's an analogy that Paul is using. He's saying if something's, what, what does he use 
drunk with wine. Because when you get drunk with wine, guess what? You're not in control of your faculties anymore. The wine is. As much as you want to stay between the lines on the road, you're drunk with wine, and guess what? You're weaving all over the place, and you're going to get a DUI. Hopefully, you'll get a DUI and not have an accident that injures you or somebody else, right? So why can't we keep the car between the lines? Because we're under the influence of something else. This is what Paul is saying. Live under the influence of the Spirit. Allow the Spirit to influence you. Allow the Spirit to control you. Allow the Spirit to govern your life. He gives this picture that we can all understand. Let the Spirit fill your life. Let the Spirit govern your life. And so he goes on. He says, each of us are called We're called to walk. So families are made up of individuals. And each individual believer is called to be filled with the Spirit. Each of us are called to walk under the control of the Holy Spirit. To live a life that is governed by the Spirit. This is true for each believer. And so it is true for every family of believers. So we have... We have a group of people here. We have a congregation of people. And all of you are members of individual families. We all came from a family. The Bible calls us as a church a family. But each of us in our respective families, we're also individuals. So individuals make up families. And Paul says to the individual believer, he says to each of us as believers, be filled with the Spirit. Live your life under the control and the governance of the Holy Spirit is what he's saying here in verse 18. And then he goes on, he says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. So to be filled with the Spirit is to be speaking to one another in a manner that is consistent with the Spirit. Do we always do that? No, we don't. Thank God for His grace that teaches us, that helps us learn from our mistakes. To be filled with the Spirit is to be singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. What's the conversation that's going on in your heart? Is it singing and making melody to the Lord or is it grumbling and complaining? To be filled with the Spirit is to, from our heart, worship. To be filled with the Spirit is to be giving thanks always for all things to God. If you read that real carefully, you'll realize how challenging that is there are some things that are very easy for us to give thanks for there are other things that as hard as we may try or imagine we we can't imagine why or how I could possibly give thanks for certain circumstances or situations but the scripture remains God says to be filled with the spirit is to be giving thanks always for all things to God 
How can we do that? Because we also have the promise of Romans 8, 28 that says, and we know that God works all things together for those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. God makes that promise to us as believers. So how can we give thanks always for all things? Because we know that God is working in and through all things. And what is he ultimately working toward? He is working toward his glory. To be filled with the Spirit is to be submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. In short, to be filled with the Spirit is to be manifesting the life of Christ that is in us. We see all these attributes in the life of Jesus. So the family was created to give witness to the glory of God through the relationships between individual members that make up the family unit. And just as every believer is to be filled with the Spirit, so the family is to be filled with the Spirit so that it gives witness to His glory. And in the family, we see these essential elements speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's godly communication between one another. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord is heartfelt worship that we offer up to God. So worship isn't just what you do on Sunday morning. Worship is your life and your lifestyle. And the question then is this, what is your worship? When is your worship? Really, when does our worship stop? And the answer is our worship is to never stop. When do our prayer stop? Our prayer is to never stop. Does that mean you spend all day long in your closet, in your house? When do I work? When do I eat? No. It means that we live our life in our default mode. Our default attitude is prayer and worship. That we are continually offering up to God our worship. That we are continually meditating and thinking In everything that we do, we realize I'm able to do this by the grace of God. I'm able to have what I have by the grace of God. I'm able to do my job by the grace of God. I'm able to have my family by the grace of God. I have what I have. I am who I am. God has blessed me by his grace. And so that creates gratitude. That's why we come to the table every week because it's a reminder. It's for us to remember the death of Christ, the life of Christ, and not just that, but that we are the body of Christ. And that we're not just thankful for God, but we are to be thankful for one another and for the family that he has placed us in. Not just biologically, but spiritually. So we see heartfelt worship. We see continual thanksgiving. We see humble submission to one another in the fear of the Lord. These are the marks of a spirit-filled family of believers. And none of these things mean that we live free of daily conflict or we live free of the challenges or the affliction that life brings. Rather, it means that conflict and challenge does not define who we are. So whatever affliction, whatever circumstance you're walking through, that doesn't define you. 
we're in Christ. In Christ, sin no longer defines us. Outside of Christ, we are defined as being sin and death. That's what the Bible calls us. It's not just, that's not just our behavior and our actions. We don't just act darkly. We read in, in Ephesians chapter 5 that we once were darkness. But in Christ, we are light in the Lord. In Christ, sin and death no longer define us. Now in Christ, we are defined by him. He is light and he is life. And so we're not defined by our affliction or our tribulation or our sin. We're defined by Christ. He defines who we are and how we overcome those conflicts and those challenges that surely come into our life. A spirit-filled life is not a life that is free of affliction, but a life that overcomes every affliction that life brings. I have a sister who is battling cancer. She had a son who lived to be 35 years old and died of muscular dystrophy. She buried her husband. She buried her son. She's battling cancer. But she's a woman of great faith. And she knows that she will be healed by the power of God or she will be called home by the power of God. Her cancer does not define her life. Christ defines her life. She wants to live, she wants to be healed, but she is just as content to go home and be with the Lord if that's what God wills. We have to come to a place, church, where we are not defined by what struggles and what valleys or what mountains we're standing in or upon. We have to come to a place where we understand that Christ is who defines us. And our victory is not defined by by everything happening just the way we want it to. Our victory is defined by what Christ has already done, what he has already accomplished on the cross. And that we take that victory and we take the promises of God. Why do we pray for people every week? Every week, every week that you come here, you will see us call for people to come up for prayer. Why? Because we believe God's a healer. And we believe that God can and does heal people. But we also understand that our ultimate victory is not whether God heals my disease today. Because guess what? He'll heal it today. But, but I'm going to die one day. Unless the Lord returns before we die a physical death. We're all going to die one day. We're not going to live forever in these flesh and blood corrupt bodies but here's the good news in Christ we will live forever eternal life is not what you're going to get one day when you get to heaven eternal life is what you have right now in Christ when you die when I die when I shed this body it's just a transition that's all it is it's all death can do to me is take me to Jesus. That's all it can do. And this is exactly why Jesus told his disciples, do not fear death. Why? 
because I have overcome death. I've overcome it. So the spirit-filled life is not the life that's free of affliction. It's the life that has already overcome every affliction in Christ. Here's a promise Jesus gave to us in John 16, These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He has given us his spirit as a guarantee that he has overcome and that we are safe and secure in him even in the midst of our tribulation. Paul is writing this letter to the church. The church is made up of families. This is an exhortation to the family of God, to the body of Christ, and to all who compose it. You see, Paul is addressing everybody here. He says to the believers, be filled with the Spirit. Submit to one another. He speaks to wives. He speaks to husbands. He speaks to children. He's writing to the body here. In everyone that makes up the body of Christ. And we must never forget that we are a part of a greater whole. That each individual that makes up each family is part of the family of believers that the Bible calls the body of Christ or the church. God created the family and he has given us his spirit and he has done so to reveal his grace and his glory through the family. So the family was created to give witness to the glory of God. The family was created to give witness to Christ and the church. So Paul is writing and he he writes in verses 18 and 19, be filled with the spirit. This is what it looks like. It, It defines how we speak. It defines what's in our heart. It defines our attitude of gratitude or an attitude of grumbling and complaining. It defines how we relate to one another. And then he addresses specifically wives and husbands. And he has a specific reason for doing this. So the family was created to give witness to Christ and the church. It is in Christ that the glory of God is most clearly seen. It is in the face of Christ that the glory of God is revealed. You go out, I mean, I don't know if you went out last night and you saw just the beautiful moon and the beautiful night sky, crystal clear. I mean, if you can't go outside and see a sight like that and not see the glory of God, if you can't go out and look at the trees, look at the flowers, look, look at everything around you, if you can't see the glory of God, then, then you're blind and you, you need to be healed. You need God to give you eyes that can see and ears that can hear. But the place, the place that God's glory is most clearly seen and most importantly revealed to us is in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul writes this, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. Christ and the church is the glory of God. God has chosen the family to reveal Christ and the church. God has chosen to picture for us the glory of Christ and the glory of the church most clearly in the mysterious union of one man and one woman in marriage. This is why we should be absolutely 
adamant about how marriage is defined because we don't define marriage. The state doesn't define marriage. Man did not define marriage. God, in the beginning, who created man, defined marriage. And Jesus reaffirms it in his gospels. Paul reaffirms it right here. And God created marriage for a specific purpose and a specific reason. And that is to give witness to Christ and the church. Because the most intimate relationship that should exist on earth is the relationship we find in marriage between one man and one woman. God preserves that relationship as a place of the highest intimacy. And he does that to picture for us, to give us an understanding of the intimate relationship, the closeness that we have been given by his grace through faith in Jesus in our relationship with him. So much so that when God created man in the beginning, and we see this in Genesis, that Paul quotes this here in Ephesians, and he talks about the two becoming one. That is a picture of intimacy. The two becoming one. A man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So Paul is writing here, and he's writing to wives, and he's writing to husbands, he's writing to these families, but this is not just a marriage seminar. Paul's not writing this because the Ephesian church necessarily had bad marriages and they needed a marriage seminar. Paul is writing this. We get the whole context of this as we read the entire letter. Paul is writing to the body of Christ so that the body of Christ will understand who they are and what Christ has done in, sin, in, in coming to die for us. What God did in sending his son to restore the relationship and join us back And bring us into union with God. This is what Paul is writing about here. This is what he's trying to show us. And that's why he calls this a great mystery. The mystery is not Christ and the church. The mystery is this natural imperfect picture of a man and a woman that gives witness to Christ and the church. Why would God choose to do it that way? I don't know. Why did God choose to make humans the way he did? Why did God make man? Why did God make anything the way he did? Why did God do everything the way he did? Because he did. Because he's the creator. Because he did everything with a purpose. And he did it so that it would give witness to Christ. So in Christ, our brokenness is redeemed by his glory. Earthly families are imperfect shadows of the perfect and eternal union between Christ and the church. No matter our situation in life, in Christ we are all part of a family. And that union in his eternal love can never be broken or come to an end. This is what Paul writes to us in in Romans chapter 8. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. Nothing created can separate you from the love of God, he says. 
Somebody says, well, no one can pluck me from his hand, but that doesn't mean I can't jump out of it. No, listen, it said nothing created. You were created. You can't pluck yourself out. The devil can't pluck you out. No one can pluck you out of the hand of God. Because God doesn't belong to you, you belong to him. God is not your possession. You are the possession of God. You may lose things, I may lose things, but God does not lose what belongs to him. And this is why the Bible calls God a husband to the husbandless, a father to the fatherless. He has brought us into the family. He has given us his love in an eternal union. In Christ, we are adopted into the family of God. God pours his spirit into our heart by which we cry, Abba, Father. And we are made eternally secure in his love. Romans 8, 15 through 17 and Galatians 4, 6 speak of this. How God has poured his spirit into our hearts. And by the spirit poured into our hearts, we cry out to God, Abba, Father. He's our father. He birthed us in Christ. He made us his children. By grace through faith, we become the family of God for his glory. So he says to wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This is not forced submission, but a willing, joyful submission in the context of love and safety. Husbands, if your wife has a problem submitting to you, then you have a problem. Because if you love her the way Christ loved the church, if you, if you are the type of husband that has love for her the way Christ loves his bride, the church, then she should not have a problem. Now that doesn't mean, wives, that you might not have a problem too. What's the solution? Let the Spirit of God begin to melt those fears. Let the Spirit of God, through the love of God, begin to to break down those walls and allow that relationship of mutual love and respect to work the way God created it to work. So wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This is not a picture of all women submitting to all men, but a wife submitting to her own husband as the head of the family, as to the Lord who is the head of the church and the Savior of the body. Now why did Paul pick on women first? He's not picking on anyone to begin with, but I think Paul mentions women first because here's where the responsibility really lies. It lies with The husband, husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. Don't lose sight of the fact that Paul is not just presenting a marriage seminar here. He's not just talking about husbands and wives. He's talking about Christ and the church. He's talking about how we as believers relate to our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, husbands, your marriage is a picture. It's a witness of Christ in the church. So make it an effective witness. Make it a glorious witness. Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And I might remind us that 
Christ didn't love us when we were all submitted and lovey-dovey to him. The Bible says when we were his enemies, when we were opposing him, when we were in utter rebellion, Christ died for us. So husbands, this isn't love your wife as your wife loves you. This is love your wife as Christ loves the church. And Christ loved the church before the church had any love to return back to Christ. Men, we need to keep that in mind when we read the scripture. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. This is not a husband dominating his wife, but a husband giving himself for his wife. This is a picture of a of a sacrificial love and mutual respect born out of this love that we are commanded to love our wives with. Why? Because this is the love that Christ loves us with. And who are we giving witness to? We are giving witness to the world. Your marriage was created by God, designed by God to give witness to the world of his glory. This is why marriage is absolutely important. We shouldn't minimize it. We shouldn't demean it. We shouldn't trivialize it. God created it and he did so for a specific purpose. Don't lose sight of his grace. Don't get hung up on all your imperfections and all your failings. Thank God for his grace Let thankfulness come out of your heart. Let worship come out of your heart and trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to mold you and shape you into that witness that God created you to become. So husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. The husband is likened to a savior, not a sadist. Did you catch that, guys? You are likened as a savior. And then he says this in verse 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. We are all members of his body. Wife, you are a member of the body of Christ. Husband, you are a member of the body of Christ. Your marriage gives witness to Christ in the church. But the family of God, who is the church, who is the bride of Christ, we are all members of his body. He is the bridegroom, we are the bride. He is the head, we are the body. We are all to be submitted to the head who is Christ. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. The creation of man and subsequently the creation of woman was for the glory of God. The man and the woman, the two becoming one flesh, pictures our union with Christ Paul writes, this is a great mystery, but this is concerning Christ and the church. We are part of a much greater whole, but your part nonetheless brings glory and honor to God in Christ. Don't, don't, don't diminish your part. Don't think your part is too small or so small that it doesn't matter. Your part matters. You're a part of the body of Christ. God put you where you are, planted you where you are, made you a, gave you the gifts you have, put you where, 
Paul says the place in the body was determined by God. Learn to be content. We don't all have the same gifts. We don't all have the same function. We're not all ears. We're not all mouths. We're not all hands. We're not all feet. We are each members individually. God placed us in the body as he saw fit because it's his body. So he knows how it's supposed to function. And we don't have the right to demean our part in his body. We don't have the right to say that we don't count, that we're just such a small part that we don't matter. That is really, that's a sinful attitude against God. You're saying that you have no value when God created you. When God saved you, when God made you his own and placed you in the body of Christ, we don't have the right to say that we don't matter. We've just bought the lie of the world and we think what matters is how rich and how powerful and how much influence we have. But I want to ask you, fathers and mothers, how much influence do you have with your children? It should be a lot. And if you don't have influence with anybody else, God's given you influence as a parent. And that's the most important influence you have. That's where the most important influence you will ever exert on anyone or anything begins. Is right there in the family. And this is why God created families for the glory of God. So the family was created for the glory of God. The family was created to give witness to Christ in the church. The family was created to be fruitful and to fill the earth with the glory of God. This is why we went on and we read into chapter 6 and Paul addresses children. Now picture this. The letter comes to Ephesus, to city in Asia, back in the day. And the churches were there. The church was there. They didn't have a big uh, mega church where everybody met. The church met wherever they could. Paul rented school buildings. He rented a school building for three years to teach out of. For the church to meet in. They met in homes. They met in synagogues. They met wherever they could. But the letter comes. And the church assembles. And they read the letter. And in that congregation. Are the children. And Paul addresses the children. He says children obey your parents. Now what does the word children. What does that inherently convey to us. Wives and husbands got together and had children. That is fruitfulness. That is multiplication. So what did God tell man in the beginning? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. What is it that we were commanded to fill the earth? This is why man being alone had really nothing to do with his loneliness. It had everything to do with his fruitfulness. What man could not do alone was multiply. And what God commanded was that man would fill the earth. With what? With the image of God. Why was man created in the image of God? Because God wanted man to multiply and to fill the earth with his image because when it's all said and done church it's not about us it's about him it's not about your glory my glory because we have none it's about his glory he created man 
in the image of God and he commanded man to be fruitful and multiply because he wanted the earth to be filled with the image of his glory. When it comes to this chapter, so we already saw, where is the image and the glory of God most clearly seen in the face of Jesus? Who are you being conformed to? The image of Jesus. So we come to this chapter in Ephesians 6 and Paul addresses the children and the fathers. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Children, obey your parents. Parents are not the only people children should obey, but children learn obedience by learning to obey their parents. So if you've ever been an employer and you had an employee that wouldn't do what you asked him to do, chances are really good that guy didn't do what his parents asked him to do either. Where do we learn obedience? God put us in a family to teach us. To what? To conform to the image of Christ. What did Christ say? Christ said, I don't do anything that I don't hear my father or see my father do. I don't say anything I don't hear from my father. I don't do anything I don't first see my father do. I didn't come to do my will. I came to do the will of my father. Jesus walked in perfect obedience. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. In the Lord is a qualifier. Children, if your parents tell you to go out and rob the local bank, disobey them. Obey your parents in the Lord. It's not a blanket and blind obedience. It's an obedience in the Lord. That means the Lord is the first person we all, parent and children, are supposed to obey. But God forbid if we have parents who are encouraging our children, their children, to do ungodly things. Now, I'm not so naive as to think and to know that that doesn't happen. But I'm not talking to all parents. I'm talking to the parents in this room right now. I'm not talking to the world. I'm talking to the church. The world is the world. They don't know any better. The Bible says they're blind. They're in darkness. It's not my job to go out and change the world. It's my job to equip the church. So families of the church, raise your children in the Lord and teach them obedience in the Lord. And you fathers, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Children have to have examples to follow, and they will find those examples. Do you guys get that? They're going to find them on the TV. They're going to find them at school. They're going to find them on the street corner. They're going to find an example to follow. So dads, You've got the first charge from the scripture, dads. Doesn't leave you off the hook, mom. Mom and dad are one flesh. They're working together. But it says, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Fathers, set the example for your children to follow. So the question is never whether our children are going to follow, but but who they're going to follow. A child left to itself will bring shame to its mother, Proverbs 29, 15 says. Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, you can't do that if you yourself are not being brought up in the training and admonition of the Lord. 
It's great to drop your kids off at church and then pick them up when church is over. But that's not what the Bible, you're not fulfilling the biblical mandate when you do that. Because how can you bring your children up in something that you will not yourself be brought up in? How can you help grow your children up into something that you yourself are not growing up into? Remember I said the Bible is intensely spiritual, but it's also intensely practical. How do we provoke our children to wrath? I'll tell you one of the greatest ways to provoke your children to wrath is blatant hypocrisy. So fathers, don't be a hypocrite. I said that to myself. I'm a father. And I'll confess to you, I have been a hypocrite. And I probably will be again. Just being honest with you. But that fact doesn't give me the right to use my hypocrisy as an excuse or to feel comfortable with it. Because we should never feel comfortable with our sin. So we'll never multiply the image of God and the image of His glory in the earth if we do not begin in our own families with our own children and become serious about God's glory. Because as we fail to do this, we succeed in bringing about our own demise. We like to throw rocks at politicians and cast blame at Washington, but let's bring it back to where it rightly belongs. Let's bring it back to the family and the doorstep of the church. Because those guys didn't get the way they were all by themselves. And somewhere along the way, the church stopped being the church and giving the witness. Listen, the church never stops being the church. God always has a remnant. But I don't think we have to look too far to see and to understand what I'm talking about in the context of our culture and our nation. And we can't just continually point at our leaders. We've got to begin to look in the mirror and say, what am I doing as a parent? What am I doing as a pastor? What am I doing as a believer to make a difference for the glory of God? I can't go to Washington. I can't even go to Austin and make a difference. But listen, I can make a difference here in Taylor. You can make a difference in your home, in your family. You can make a difference in this church. You can make a difference in this community. Let's just start right here where we are. Worship where you live. Make a difference where you live. And believe God that he not only can do that, but that he wants to do that. The knowledge of his glory is, the, is in the face of Christ. And here's the promise of God, Habakkuk 2.14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This will happen as blood-bought, spirit-filled disciples of Jesus are multiplied and fill the earth. The family was established by God to this very end, that his glory would fill the earth. So God establishes and calls families to commit to his glory and to fill the earth with the glorious image of his son. And by God's grace, it is the destiny and the glory of each believer to be conformed to the image of Christ. Romans eight twenty nine through 30. 
So we see from the scripture that God established the family to give a witness to his glory, to give a witness to Christ and the church, and to be fruitful and to fill the earth with the image of God's glory. Amen? Now next week, we're going to finish out chapter 6. And we're going to we're going to see that Paul talks about spiritual warfare. And if you haven't noticed, you should, that the family is under attack in every context imaginable. Biological families, church families, work families, everywhere you go. Why is that? That's because the enemy knows that God established the family to give witness to his glory. And it is the mission of the enemy to deface, to defame, to diminish in any way, shape, form that he can the glory of God. Now here's the good news. He is defeated. But the fact that he is defeated does not mean that we are not still in an active battle because we are. So we need to be wise. We need to understand what the will of the Lord is. That's what Paul wrote. That's what we just read. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, we need to walk in wisdom and understanding, giving glory to God. Amen? Let's all stand. So next week we'll finish, we should finish the book of Ephesians. Please don't forget, come back for the meeting tonight at 6. I want to pray. And I want to invite you to trust the Lord. I don't know where all of you are in your spiritual life, in your relationship with God. I speak to all of you as though you are believers. Uh, I don't know that you all are believers. Don't make your salvation more complicated. Salvation's not complicated. And in fact, salvation for us has been made very easy. But don't ever think that your salvation is cheap because it costs the Son of God his life. So Father, we ask right now that you would Open our hearts. God, if there is one person here today that has never trusted in you, I pray, Father God, that you would move on their heart right now. That you would draw them by your spirit to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as the only Savior. Father, I pray that as we have looked into your word and we see the charge that's been given to us as husbands and wives, as children, as believers. God, the enemy wants to take our shortcomings and our failures and magnify those and and get us caught and mired in that. But Lord, that's not the purpose of your word. Your word that brings light, that that convicts us and enlightens us is not so that we can get mired in our condemnation because there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Lord, if we are in Christ, we are no longer 
of the flesh of this world, but we are in the spirit. And so, Lord, you've brought us out of darkness into light and you command us to walk as children of light. And you've given us the grace by the Holy Spirit to walk in the light and to walk as light. Father, I pray that, Lord, you would bring us to that place. And Lord, if there are any here today that have never trusted in you, Lord, they would just take that simple step of faith and trust in you. And that they would see the wonder of your grace, the power of your salvation in Christ. Lord, we ask that you would do this for your glory. And that you would, in your church, be glorified. Amen.